0: Hi, this is Scott Thompson. Welcome to the Scott Thompson Show podcast. Thanks for listening. Tell your friends, feel free to subscribe. Coming up on today's show, the extradition hearing begins for the Huawei CFO. Where does that leave Canada? The Royals are out of the UK and the UK is blaming Megan. Should they look in the mirror? And should you be heating your home with electricity instead of gas? And has anyone priced that out recently? It's all coming up on the Scott Thompson Show podcast. Today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. We're talking about the extradition case of the Huawei CFO, which begins today. Many are saying, and some said way back when, when this all went down, uh, we should just give her back. What happened here is while she was touched down in Vancouver, uh, immigration grabbed her on a U.S. arrest warrant, uh, oddly enough, (laughs) to do with Iran, who, of course, uh, the U.S. are in battle with on an ongoing basis. Uh, This goes back to the early 2000s. This is long before Trump, long before uh, any of that sort of stuff was even uh, existing. So uh, obviously Canada caught in the middle, We are uh, now starting an extradition hearing, trying to uh, move her through to the United States. It looks like, unless the Canadian government steps in and says no, that this is going to happen. But what starts now? What happens? And how does this move forward? We're told this could be a lengthy process. Let's bring in Ari Goldkind, Toronto defence lawyer, and is with us now. Ari, thank you for the time. Much appreciated. Pleasure, Scott. So what happens now, Ari? What's happening today?
1: Okay, so this is actually kind of interesting and you know some people explain it in a way that's a little bit hard to understand. It's really not. So start from the premise that she's in court this week in the B.C. Supreme Court on an issue of what's called double criminality. Now what that means in English, thought, and it's really this simple. If a judge finds that what she's charged with in New York would not be a crime in Canada, the extradition automatically fails. Okay. If, however, the judge finds, look, this would be a crime in Canada, no different than it would be in the States, the judge will likely recommend extradition. But there's a Part 2 coming up in the summer, which we'll come to in a second. However, even if the judge says, send her to the States, the final decision on this, different than most things, is David Lametti, the Minister of Justice in Ottawa. So anybody who thinks this is just a legal Situation today, uh uh, this is heavily political.
0: So, uh, what are we waiting for? If the justice minister has that right, why doesn't he pull the trigger sooner? Does that lead you to believe that he does not want to interfere with this?
1: No. So, first it goes to court. Her lawyers have the right to contest the extradition, which they're doing. Their argument in a nutshell is look, Canada didn't have sanctions on are uh, dealing with Iran in 2013, so this is not our problem, not a crime here. Our government says, hey, fraud is fraud. Young billionaire daughter of billionaire YY person, you went to a meeting on the U.S. government's allegation in 2013. You knew that your company's not allowed to do business uh, with Iran, and you went to a meeting with the HSBC Bank, and when they asked you, are you still doing business with Iran, You said no, and lo and behold, you actually were exposing HSBC to a whole series of issues. That's the state's case in New York in a nutshell, and that's in court today. So that proceeding plays out, but different, Scott, than most of the cases you and I talk about. In fact, all of them, where the Minister of Justice, other than an SNC, Jody Wilson-Raybould, all that other stuff, doesn't have their finger on the scale of justice, here... Even if a judge says this would be fraud in Canada, this would be a crime, let's say Lametti says, Hey, I look at all of Trump's toilet tweeting, yeah. and it's our position, it's our position that uh, the YY young lady here is being used as a pawn in our politics between China and Canada. Lametti can easily say, I don't care what the judge says, I'm not extraditing her because extradition cannot be used to get leverage on people simply as a political ploy or as somebody with a political pawn.
0: Many are saying, do that, just let her go. Why are we not doing that?
1: Well, I don't actually think we should, and I think that's the wrong approach. I think the people that have that approach really are hate Trump at all costs, sort of the Trump derangement syndrome. If, like me, you're interested in rule of law, and you believe our ally is much more the United States than China will ever be. Now, let's go back a step to why I say that, Scott. She is a billionaire living in a $13 million or $11 million house in Vancouver. She's not in jail. Once this happens, China takes two Canadian citizens and puts them into essentially the gulag, starving them, no lawyers, they're stuck in a Chinese jail. If you believe that our closer relationship is to the United States, leave the Trump derangement behind. If a prosecutor in New York City says, look, there's a crime, there's an international arrest warrant, we can make our case. Some people might think, sure, that person can come through Canada, stay in the Fairmont, stay in the Four Seasons, go to Tim Hortons, not be arrested, live in Canada, happy nilly in an $11 million house, while most Canadians can't afford to live in one-tenth of that house. If that's your view, nothing I say can change that. Mm. My view is, our allegiance is to the united states much more than china and if the u.s says it has a case let a canadian court like it's happening this week look at the evidence look at the indictment they don't have to prove that the case can be proven but they have to show a standard that a canadian judge says hey you prosecutors in the state have a case there's something to be tried in a court here versus what your question is and i appreciate the devil's advocate nature of it scott whereas if people say we should essentially do china's bidding Help me completely out of that metric.
0: Hmm. How do we make this a U.S. problem since they started this ball rolling? It seems the Chinese president, the U.S. president are talking trade on a daily basis, yet this never is brought up. Why doesn't the Chinese president say to Trump, hey, let her go, uh, stop this BS with Canada and blah, blah, blah. Why Why is Canada that's paying? Not, why, why isn't the that's U.S.? a wonderful question. Why would they just not push this onto the U.S.? There you go. She's your problem. Why not extradite her tomorrow? Say, you take the problem.
1: such a great question so there's two parts to that one and remind me of the juicier one because this isn't the first part when somebody is held for extradition here that person particularly if they're rich scott remember that part of the story particularly if they're rich they can hold up extradition for years and years and years that's what she wants to do she's a billionaire remember she's going to tie this up in litigation for at least this year so while one could say just send her back to the states let it be the u.s.'s problem when she has lawyers of the expense and ability that she's able to hire in vancouver and remember scott the average joe schmuck pardon my french can't afford a lawyer at all today you're making 42 grand in canada you can't afford me or anybody else but this lady can so that's the reason she's in court however If you really want to get into the politics of this, which is I think we should do, Justin Trudeau, remember, now that he's got a beard, apparently he looks more serious. He's still (laughs) a feckless leader. Okay, I don't care that he has a beard. doesn't make a difference to me. He said to the United States, you should not sign a trade deal with China unless one of the terms is that these two jailed Canadians are freed. Well, you know what happened last week. Trump essentially says, Justin who? Has the trade deal signed. And these two Canadians, which doesn't seem to outrage as many people as some joke of Ricky Gervais or some other woke culture nonsense gets Mm. people going on Twitter. But these two men, Scott, if like me, you care about these things, I don't care that Ricky Gervais makes fun of billionaire actors. I care that these two men Canadians have been left to rot and die in a Chinese jail. So if we want to talk politics, the moral of the story is that Canada is as feckless as you can imagine. And Trump simply does and says, look, we're a superpower and we're going to have a trade deal ignorant of these two Canadians, not nice, ignorant of Justin Trudeau. And we want this woman back. And if anybody, Scott, by the way, is wondering why is she important, or as why is YY important? If you understand anything about national security, that's why YY is
0: important. Mm. All right, Ari Goldkind is still with us, Toronto defense lawyer. Ari, as always, thank you so much for the time and insight. Much appreciated. Pleasure, Scott. All right, uh, let's bring in our next guest. Uh, ben Rons- uh, Roswell is with us, President, Canadian International Council, and on the line with us now. Ben, thank you for the time. Much appreciated.
2: Hey, it's always a pleasure.
0: So this uh, trial has started. Uh, president Trump and the president of uh, China have announced a trade deal. Uh, does this is there a discussion about the Huawei CFO at all between these two? Because it, it seems as if China is oblivious to the fact that it was the United States that started all of this.
2: Well, I'm sure they know the reality behind it. Uh, I can't speak to what's uh, happening in the official discussions either U.S. or Canada with China. Um, But I'm sure there's some discussions about how to get out of this terrible situation. There is actually an option available under the extradition process. Once the judge does uh, her thing in Vancouver, if the extradition goes forward, there is a political phase of the process where the government of Canada can actually turn it off. Right, the minister, yeah, the,
0: the minister of justice can overrule this, even if a court rules yeah. to uh, to extradite her. That being said, uh, who is our better ally, the Chinese or the Americans? I mean...
2: In a zero-sum world, we're always going to choose the United States over China. Uh, of course, most of the art of diplomacy is avoiding zero-sums, because otherwise smaller countries like ours would always be on the losing side. Mm-hmm. Uh, And there are some options here. Now, the risk, of course, is if the Minister of Justice does receive the extradition request and denies it on foreign policy grounds, it will look as if Canada is just caving to this craven policy of China to take hostages to pressure countries that it has disagreements with.
0: Well, isn't that what's happening, if that is the case? I mean, again, I'm just playing devil's advocate here. Obviously, we have the right to do this. But is the ramifications that happens afterwards worth it?
2: We certainly haven't been to Chinese uh, will up until now. That's why Meng Wanzhou is still going through this process in British Columbia. And unfortunately, why our two citizens are still uh, kidnapped and detained in China. So we have actually shown a fair amount of backbone. As we're looking for ways of getting out of it, I think it's really important that we not do what, say, Eddie Goldenberg recommended over the last week is a quote unquote prisoner swap. Yeah. Uh, if there's a way of overruling the extradition request on foreign policy grounds, I think we would then have to introduce some other kind of measure to raise the cost on China for its hostage diplomacy. And if uh, you
0: do, if you do, uh, uh, if the justice minister avoids the extradition and, and doesn't push this through, uh, you would then have to do a deal of some sort to get the two Michaels released, would you not? Or do you just let her go and hope the Chinese would let them go?
2: I don't think that the two Michaels will be released uh, um, if Meng Wanzhou is cancelled. Um I don't I think they are meant as leverage over Canada, but I don't think China will play it that neatly. So you let her go so let these guys go. So, I think they uh, so Canada and so they're gonna keep them in jail. For, so
0: because. if if you feel that they would keep the two Michaels in jail either way, why release her?
2: So the foreign policy argument might just be that there is a uh this place is a break on all kinds of things that Canada is trying to accomplish. Uh, this is the second most empower, powerful country in the world. Um And so it clears the way for other measures to be taken. But we should not be linking the detainees either. We should continue our line, which is that it's an absolute outrage, and mobilize international opinion against China, which is costing China uh, a fair amount. It's um, revealing the true character of the Xi Jinping regime. And uh, many countries around the world have had the fundamental rethink of its relationship with China, just as we have. Um at a certain point the Chinese system will release the two Michaels. If you look at previous cases where they've conducted hostage diplomacy, they have a country that they're upset at, whether it's uh, Norway for giving the peace prize, the Nobel Peace Prize to Lu Xiaobo, there tends to be a sort of two year period in which those countries are kept in the doghouse and then eventually a country of some importance, China needs to have a relationship with them, and so those hostages are eventually released. That's likely what's going to happen here, regardless of the specific actions in the Meng Wanzhou affair.
0: Um, Let's uh, uh, just presume that this all works out in some form, and the two Michaels are released. What do you think the story is going to be that they're going to tell? when they come back to North America, they're going to have quite a story to tell about what it's like to be in a Chinese prison. Yes. How do you think that's going to resonate with North Americans? How do you think that's going to play back in China? Again, as soon as these people come back, it's going to paint yet another horrific
2: picture of the communist regime. That's right, yeah. China's taken a real beating in its international image. It's uh, perception among Canadians because of Human rights abuses against two of our citizens. Of course, there's all kinds of human rights abuses against Chinese citizens. We think about the Uyghurs in Xinjiang and the uh, use of force against uh, protesters in uh, in Hong Kong. So it will all add to an increasingly negative picture that uh, Canadian citizens have, uh, have about China. I believe that... Said, that I we're believe... still going to have to have a relationship with China. Right. And uh, <laughs> we, uh, we have to play our cards as strongly as possible. And that's why we shouldn't do what Goldenberg recommended which is a business law we yeah. be holding firm
0: um do you believe that once the two Michaels are finally returned that uh the Canadian opinion of China will even be worse than it is now I don't see I, I don't see as off all of a sudden uh, the two Michaels come home Canada's relieved and okay everybody everybody's go back to normal and then they tell their horrific story I, I mean I think relations are only going to no, get worse are the the they public not
2: opinion is going to be is negative and is going to remain negative uh but there's times in the past where canada's had to have relationships with countries that it really dislikes uh with fundamentally different systems yeah um and we have stood up to to countries that abuse human rights in the past and still had ambassadors and uh, diplomats and trade agreements and what have you we we're a big enough country that we can walk into and come at the same time we can take um, a major security adversary like China, and still have trade and investment relationships with them as long as we're looking out for our interests. First and, first and foremost,
0: are Canadians safe in China? Whether you're visiting, whether you're over there on business?
2: Well, the advice from the government of Canada is uh, usually the best to follow. They update it pretty regularly. I know um, quite a few Chinese, Canadians who've been traveling in in China without any any incident, but it's totally arbitrary, right? They don't have the rule of law there. So it's really what the leadership is uh, dictating, and worse, what people lower down the pecking order do in order to please the leadership. Hmm. Um, and so Canadians always have to keep that in in mind when they're traveling to countries that don't follow the rule of law.
0: Ben Roswell has been. W- a lot of. Sorry, go ahead which is, unfortunately, a lot
2: of the countries in the world
0: you say. Ben Roswell has been with us, President, Canadian International Council, uh, talking about the uh, extradition process uh, with the Huawei CFO. Ben, thank you for the time and insight. Much appreciated. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. God bless our our guest, Phil Dampier, who's been writing about the Royals, knows more about them than I'll ever know for over 30 years. But they're blaming Megan. It's like Yoko Ono. She's this generation's Yoko Ono. I think it's absolutely hilarious. I I, I think, you know, they treat them like crap, then they're pissed off they're leaving. I'm sorry. I I don't see this as, as any other way. We've seen the headlines. We've seen what they say about them. Why would they not just back up and leave? And now they're all pissed off. Well, it's Megan's fault. She changed his mind. No, he didn't like you and he left. Stop blaming his wife for it. It's hilarious, Alyssa Freeman. How are you, Alyssa? PR. What are your oh, thoughts I'm on all that? Like, I, I've just, I just had a UK guy, uh, ve- very well respected, and I'm not making light of him in any way. Very respected UK journalist, uh, written about the royals for over 30 years, and they're just, they're, they're just constantly blaming Megan for this. It's hilarious.
3: Well, I will say, I do have some depend- opinions on Megan, and I don't think you can compare her to Yoko Ono because I think that Yoko Ono had talent in one, some way, shape, or form. But be that <laughs> Wow, saying,
0: you wouldn't have said that 20, 30 years ago.
3: Well, if I was in love with John Paul George and Rinko, maybe I would not have, because they yeah. say it was her who broke up the Beatles. That's but it. I it. Mean, yeah, maybe this is a Yoko Ono syndrome, and that's not quite the Beatles that she broke up, but it's another you know British institution known as the royal family.
0: They're pissed off they lost a major part of their brand that doesn't want anything to do with them.
3: Okay, so here's the thing. Like, if we want to talk about media coverage with Meg, the one thing that i make, like, she's like my friend, you know, <laughs> the one thing that I will say is that she had an absolutely horrible shake with them. And, you know, I'm actually having lunch with a colleague, and he gave me this very interesting statistic. And he said that 72% of the coverage around Megan was negative. Mm-hmm. Now, that number is a large number, and that number is also a large number if you actually have to live with it day in and day out. Yeah. So, for example, you know, when Kate was pregnant, she was eating avocados, and they're saying, oh, Kate is being so healthy and she's eating avocados. Yeah. Okay, Megan does the same thing, and she is breaking the backs of foreign yeah. workers yeah. by eating avocados. And, and there are several examples. There's actually a great case study that I hope that people use. Um, later on when, you know, people are learning uh, about communications and crisis communications about how media coverage can be skewed. So if the media is absolutely not on your side and that they realize that this negative coverage sells papers, well, you know, the British tabloid press has been in existence for many, many years, and they have a formula, and nobody's going to tell them how to do their business.
0: And that's fine. I get that 100%. But don't say it's not that. I mean, let's be honest. They killed the golden goose here. They drove the golden goose away, and now they're angry it's not flying back.
3: You know, the person who gets the really the worst end of this deal, I feel, is not necessarily Megan, but I think Harry. And I don't even have to call him Prince Harry anymore, right? We don't even have to say, you know, his royal title is taken away from him. And when I read that everything that was taken away from Harry, including his um, affiliation uh, with the British Army, which I think is what he truly, truly loved, and that was a great time of his life, I did feel sorry for him because there is a large part of who he was and all that he knows as he was growing up. So I think that's why the tabloids and the media are so angry, because they're stripping somebody who had, you know, you know, according to royal standards, British royal standards, like a lineage and an attachment to his own persona and how he was to comport himself. And now that is all gone. And what I think is really interesting is that Harry did take the opportunity during an event that while he was still in London to actually address the situation. And, you know, when you have people go up in front of the media at a microphone with all eyes and all lights on you and you are explaining away something that has been very damaging, you know, okay, this is a family, but it's also a brand. I really felt that his words were sincere. Yes, he was reading from something, but you can actually hear and believe the empathy in his voice. So this sort of disattachment has truly, truly, I think, affected him. And it'll be interesting to see how it all plays out with them as a duo, as a unit in the years to come.
0: Uh, UK blaming Megan. Uh, do they look in the mirror here? Do they blame the gray suits? Do they blame the way this institution is being run? Uh, they, just less, they just let their two biggest brands walk out the door. What have they learned in any of this?
3: Well, I think that we all know that the media is powerful. And somebody once told me uh, a long time ago is that you don't pick a fight with somebody who buys ink by the barrel. And there's something to be said for that. And there are certain things that when the palace has come out and talked to the media and said, lay off, and then the media essentially does lay off. But I don't think that the palace did enough in way of intervention because they themselves were unsure about how they felt about Meghan. And I think that there was a lot of reported infighting um, about her effect and her new sort of alliance with the British family. So, you know, the British royal family, honestly, has nothing, to, nobody to blame but themselves.
0: I think so. If
3: they didn't think that Megan was a Megan Markle was a um, an appropriate partner for Harry, like you, you can't tell me these people have MI five, they yeah. have Scotland Yard, they have goodness knows who who else in order to do background checks. If they didn't think that she was the one, then they probably just should have put their foot down. But you know what? Harry has gone through a lot in his young life. And I think that he's been affected much differently than his brother because Mm. his brother is an heir and he is the spare. And I think that there's a completely sort of different mental makeup when you think about how you're living your life with in, in those regards. So, so
0: what now? Does uh, They don't have these two royals to kick around anymore. So who do they kick around? Do they kick around uh, Will and Kate? Do they oh, well, still kick go. around? Yeah, but nobody's going to give a damn, uh, you know, with these two out of the country, what, what, the, what the whiny people are still saying back home, and that will quickly run out of juice.
3: But, but you know what? I disagree, Scott. I think the world is a really small place. And I think that you can be in Toronto or Victoria Island, or you know, you could be in LA, and you can still have somebody hiding behind the bushes and getting your paparazzi shots. Yeah. And can, you know, but at the end, end of the character. day,
0: let's be honest here: it's a huge slap in the face to the UK and the Royals. It's a huge slap. They've walked out and shut the door, and everybody's saying, "Well, they've lost this, they've lost that." They don't give a damn. They're gone. They're gone.
3: I think, yes, absolutely. And I think that those are things that they, they will have to live with. And yet, I think, I hope that the British royal family regroups. Because listen, you know, there's the Harry and Meghan issue here, but the more serious one is really uh, Prince Andrew. And that whole name <laughs> exactly anywhere. Okay? Exactly. So there are some people who have thought that, oh, this whole Harry and Meghan is just a distraction strategy so people stop talking about Prince Andrew and pedophilia. But yeah. you know what? Those strategies are not, they're ephemeral. They don't last for a long time. So I don't think that, I think that the British royal family will hopefully regroup and modernize the way of, uh, they communicate their brand. And they have to be in touch with the way that people are thinking. There was a time when they could do and say as they wanted, because not all eyes of the world were on them 24-7. But now there are these eyes, and people are reporting, and people always have something to say, whether you're a uh, British royal watcher or you're just somebody who happens to have an opinion.
0: Alyssa Freeman. Sorry, i got to cut you off there, Alyssa. Alyssa Freeman has been with us. Alyssa PR talking about everything royal and the brand that was. Alyssa, as always, thanks so much for the time. Much appreciated.
3: Ta-ta for now.
0: (laughs) Ha-ha. Ta-ta. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. Let's bring in Steve Applin, publisher of Emission Track, which monitors CO2 carbon dioxide emissions from energy use and is with us now. Steve, thanks for the time. Much appreciated always a pleasure scott happy new year and happy new year to you uh, it, it seems i'm just dumbfounded that the cleanest energy that we have that being electricity uh... the past government made it so uh... unaffordable that everybody was switching to other forms uh... goodbye gas furnaces is this close to a reality uh... it
4: is in other parts of the country where they haven't uh... implemented a harebrained electricity policy such as you just described uh... uh very succinctly in your lead-up Yes, uh, it's possible to do as long as, uh, as long as you've got reasonable electricity prices and there's not this ridiculous spread between the cost of natural gas, which we we're trying to phase out, and the cost of electricity, which we're trying to phase in. In Ontario, as you know, 22 cents a kilowatt hour for electricity. Uh, in an in a urban setting, it's more in a rural, and, uh, and uh, 3.5 cents for gas and 3.9 cents if you include the carbon tax, which is not having any effect on uh, this choice that we're talking about. So, yes, we, uh, uh, we've made a wrong term in Ontario with our electricity pricing policy, and this is something that sooner or later we're going to have to uh, revisit.
0: This isn't going to get any better because this has just been financed and punted down the road. So the That's next right. generation is going to have the same issues with affordability as we are, are they not?
4: Oh, yeah uh, they absolutely are this this is why I really think that there's no alternative for the current government I know it's not a I know it's not an easy decision it's certainly not going to make them popular uh, but somebody has to revisit the electricity contract that the last government put in because the pricing was absolutely unreasonable and uh, and it's settling future generations and it led to all sorts of you know you've described it very well it led to, basically putting the the uh, extra cost of electricity onto a credit card and then pretending that there's been a uh, electricity price reduction when in fact you've got to pay that credit card. So, we're going to face that we're going to face one of two problems where that bill's going to come due and it's going to cause a political problem or some government is going to have to address get into these contracts Negotiate them down and try to get the cost of electricity
0: down. Uh, this article in the CBC says that the UK has prese- has proposed banning fossil fuels based heating on new homes by 2025, like states in Cal- like California, Washington, and Massachusetts, who are trying to phase out natural gas. Is yeah, that
1: accurate? It's, uh,
4: it, it, it's it's very ambitious. If, unless the, the UK is building a uh, nuclear plant, the Hinkley C plant, quite controversial, but uh, but that's the only power source that, that is going to be available to actually make so, so, that kind of plan a reality. Uh, other places uh, in California and the rest of them, I wish them luck. Uh, I think it's uh, uh, high-minded of them to, uh, to, to make these pronouncements. But unless you've got, I think that people don't realize, Scott, that the, the sheer scale of the bulk energy that we're going to need to decarbonize heating uh, is is beyond uh, uh, what a lot of people have imagined. In just in Ontario, just right now, we've got a uh, heating demand of thirty thousand megawatts. Our electrical demand is eighteen thousand megawatts. Uh, hmm. There's uh, you know to to electrify heating uh, in Ontario would be is it's, it's going to change our grid beyond anything we have imagined. So it'll be quite interesting to see that happen, and uh, we had better adopt a long-term integrated plan to attack it because it's going to be quite disruptive
0: and what what seems odd in all of this is they they just present like we can flip a switch and walk away from this when we're still relying on wind turbines to be backed up by natural gas generators
4: that's right I just uh, I, I think that a lot of the well I, I really hope'm I'm, I'm happy to see that CBC article it's it's, it's very it's you and I've been discussing this so you know you're ahead of the curve but they and they're just catching up but uh, this, is a, this is just a, a, it's not a matter of flipping a switch, as you know. It's, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a very profound change in, in the way that we deliver electricity, uh, and, and it, especially in pricing models. It's all doable. I think that a lot of people don't realize that, that the scale and the scope of, of this initiative.
0: Um, It just seemed very odd to me that the last government called us bad actors and then took the form of energy that they all wanted us to switch to and made it unaffordable. You would think that they would lower the price of electricity in order to get more people to consume it, to, to move over to it.
4: Yes, you, you you would think that, but but I I think they're in the thrall of an environmental movement, and I'm quite critical of the environmental movement. I agree with them that that energy has to be electrified in order to decarbonize it. It has to be electrified, but the but their proposals for making that happen are just harebrained, and and among them is making electricity extremely expensive. So they've got this conservation first. Let's punish people for using electricity. Let's punish people with high prices when in fact the, the, the low-income people are disproportionately high users of, the, of that commodity. So it's, pun, it's punishing people who can least afford to, to suffer that punishment while you know, just completely undercutting the idea of clean energy by making the cleanest energy the most expensive.
0: Why does there not seem to be a discussion in the middle? with all of this, why does it either seem to be, you know, uh, let's shut the switch off now, shut off the tap now, or complete denial that there's even an issue? Where are all the common sense, vocal minority in the center of all of this?
4: Yeah, good question. I, I think it's because, while well, there's just, it's because it's a technical subject probably first off. Electricity is a, is a very technical subject. It, it, it's very technology dependent on how it's delivered and the time of delivery. You can't store it. It's a, it's, a, it's a really uh, delicate dance that the grid operator has to do to balance supply and demand. And there is that sort of technical aspect of it that a lot of people simply don't understand. And so I think that that might be where the where, – uh, the, the, uh, a large part of the root of the confusion over this whole thing. But it's good that we're talking about it because it's going to be – you know, if we pursue the decarbonization path, it's going to be our dominant form of energy. So local municipalities are going to become providers of all the energy that we use, not just the electricity. They're going to provide transportation energy and heating energy, and this is just going to dwarf what they're currently doing. So it's, uh, I think that people, you know, we've, we're, we're looking at it, you know, we're staring into the face of a massive disruptive transition, and I think that uh, people are just very, very slowly starting to get their heads around it.
0: At one time, Kathleen Wynne talked about gasifying, gasification of the north to get them off of electricity, which was so expensive. Yeah. Now, once again, and I remember there was a paper out a few years ago that was circulating that, that they wanted uh, homes off natural gas by a certain date. It almost seems like now they're flipping back. It's like we're getting mixed messaging here, which
4: doesn't help. Exactly. Well, it's and basically you lay that at the... The, the blame for that, I'm, I'm sorry to say, at the feet of the government that made electricity so expensive, because it's not a it's not a bad decision for somebody <laughs> on on a budget to to look at your at their two choices and, and and pick the cheaper one. This is this is how we make our economic decisions. So to tilt the board so that that the, the economic decision that they make is the one that we don't want them to make, well, that's just poor policy planning, and the government that brought that in. Has to has to accept the blame for that because they're the ones who created the situation.
0: Will we find the center here? Will we find the middle over time?
4: Well, I hope we do. I hope that we continue the discussion, and I hope that that uh, more articles like the one that you're referring to in the CBC come out because it's very interesting. It's that's taking head on uh, one of the what looks like low hanging fruit in, in the next wave of decarbonization. It looks like a low-hanging fruit in fact it's fraught with a lot of technical difficulty and there are good reasons for that but it's it's slowly but surely i think if we continue the discussion uh we'll move towards a a good resolution but it's going to be electrification and it's going to be large massive scale bulk electrification and those who are against this uh central station model and why there would be advocates against that I'm, i'm dumbfounded as to why uh, but uh, the more the more that people accept yep. that that's got to be the way it's gonna be, uh, the better. I, I think that that uh, you know, eventually we'll get there, but boy, it's gonna be uh, there's gonna be some hard reckoning between now and then.
0: Steve Applin with us publisher of a mission track. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. All right, let's find out what is happening in the Hammer. Michael Marini is with us, Economic Development City of Hamilton, and with us now... Michael, thanks for coming in. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year. What? What's the cutoff for that? I don't know. I was thinking that <laughs> because we had friends come over yesterday and they said, Happy New Year. I thought, yeah, what is, until you've seen the person in the new year, but then you could be saying Happy New Year in May. That's true. Oh, I yeah. heard January 31st and that's it. Is that, is that, by? well, that seems fair. Yeah. So we still got a while to go then. <laughs> still got a week. Uh, how would you sum up last year? And what's happened with the city in 2019 from an economic development standpoint?
5: I think a lot of the categories that uh, we presented to council last week in the early budget discussions was a record-breaking year. So mm. the uh, the industrial commercial permits were, were uh, way up. Uh, the building permits overall were up. Uh, the value of those permits were up. So we're on a, on a good trajectory yeah. uh, since last Consistent. year. Consistent consistently consistent growth which is good yeah okay I know you don't
0: want to get into politics and LRT and I don't want to go there but obviously now it appears it is cancelled is are are the ramifications do you hear blowback about that Uh, many have said that Hamilton won't skip a beat just keeps going because it was growing long before Mm -hmm. we got to where we are now Uh, you know for the last 10 years it's pretty much been on a, a steady climb now that that's perhaps taken off the table how, wh- where does it leave your department?
5: Well, I think the the, uh, the conversations are still happening. So yeah. if you if look at you know what you've been reporting, local media that those conversations, the task force, mm-hmm. uh, they're still looking at options. Yeah, and I'll leave it at that. But from an investment standpoint. Uh, People were building without an LRT uh, and those projects were happening. Once the LRT was announced, uh, certainly there was added interest. Mm -hmm. And I think, uh, you know, if uh, whatever the the conversations, wherever they go, wherever they lead, uh, we will still be open for business and we're we're still um, happy to talk to investors, uh, whether they have an interest in LRT or whether they don't um you know i think there's still a very strong and valid case to yeah. investing in hamilton and particularly in the downtown and actually um uh, tomorrow there will be a, an exciting announcement for the downtown i can't get into it now oh <laughs> come on michael what is <laughs> that no, he, he's giving us the big tease yeah, here no, it'll, it'll, out the it'll the be door. out it'll be out uh first thing tomorrow morning how big uh, is it <laughs> It's it's a good one. That's all I say. It's, it's a good, a good one. one, but but it points to the fact that hey, we're getting a new arena. <laughs> it point it points to the fact that uh, these investments are continuing, uh, and, and we're still actively and aggressively going after investments in uh, in multiple forms and, and sizes.
0: And how uh, how many years have we seen consistent growth? Has it been ten years? Has it been twelve? Do we know how yeah. many years it's been where we have been on? Uh, an upward it's
5: probably uh 2010 was uh we just came out of the great recession Mm -hmm. and uh, things started going there was an uptick i believe around 2012 there was a slight decline Mm -hmm. in the permit values but then after that after about 2012 uh that's when things just kept going up and up and up so it's continuing so it's good
0: uh, so no sign of that slowing down just because, you know, the politics of the day is the politics of the day.
5: No, I think there's still a compelling argument to, yeah. to, to coming here. And I think, you know, what's happening in Toronto, it's it's at full build. It's yeah. it's busy, it's congested. It doesn't make sense for a lot of companies from a from a bottom line standpoint. And
0: I remember you know. people saying that years ago, like a couple of decades ago, that it was just a matter mm-hmm. of time before the wave just came around yeah. the lake and, and down towards, uh, you know, Niagara and such. And yeah, that's you, what we're seeing now.
5: Yeah, and, you know, we talked to our counterparts that, in uh, Niagara Economic Developments, and certainly they're they're pitching investment in Niagara, but mm-hmm. they've changed in terms of the narrative, and they're saying this is how far we are from Hamilton, yeah. rather than how far we are from Toronto. Yeah, uh, because I think Hamilton now is sure. you know the next big thing that that's uh, drawing a lot of int- interest.
0: All right, so uh, what do you want to chat about today? D- uh, various stuff going on. You're yeah. you're bringing us up to date on what uh, Economic uh, Development is doing. Uh, blockchain event. What's this?
5: So there's on uh, January twenty eighth at the uh, the Braley Health Center across from City Hall. Uh, there's going to be an all day conference just focused on blockchain and fintech uh, in Hamilton and around the world.
0: To those that have no idea what this is about, in yeah. layman's terms, how in terms, how do you explain it? How do you?
5: So basically, yeah, I'm still learning that myself. I know exactly. notice a I you. a lot of people think of Bitcoin. Um, Mm -hmm. in this realm and and that's like the online currency that's still in its infancy and and it's growing but blockchain really is kind of like the processes behind uh, you know tracking every movement or every transaction so that everything is on a ledger an electronic Mm -hmm. ledger and that everything can be accounted for. Every move you make in your business and, and a transaction you do with another business is yeah. accounted for yeah. and cannot be edited. So people are, are looking to that, for example, the manufacturing process. Say you're making a, you know a widget mm-hmm. and you want to know when did the um, the supply come in? How much was in the supply? Uh, what happened in this manufacturing process? When did it uh, get sent out over here? When did this part of the process come in? Everything is tracked by computers. Yeah, yeah. And you can see, so if, if there is a description Discrepancy uh, that you have between yourself and a vendor, mm-hmm. you'll see. Oh no! On this day, at this time, at this yep. exact moment, this is what happened, and and everything just is like accountable. online,
0: just like online retail when you're ordering something, same sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah
5: Everything's everything's tracked yeah. and ordered.
0: Uh, so, what's this event about? What's so, it, what's this, What's the objective here? So
5: basically, Hamilton <laughs> has one of the richest broadband networks in all of North America, and and basically, we we have the ability here, we have the technology, we have the infrastructure to really grow our tech capacity in Hamilton, and mm-hmm. we have been. Uh, and then in particular, FinTech, financial technology, uh, we really want to get into that. That's that's a huge part of our economic development action plan. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we want to show uh, people from around the region, people from around the country, if they, if they uh, are attending around the world, uh, that Hamilton, because of its proximity to Kitchener-Waterloo and proximity to Toronto, we're right in the middle, we have the infrastructure, you can build a tech company in Hamilton. So this this conference is kind of bringing together like-minded people, talking about, in particular, the blockchain industry.
0: You brought up Kitchener-Waterloo, obviously uh, a city that's uh, that's moved towards technology in, in its uh, industry and such. Are we competing with these places or just looking to get a piece of the action as a region?
5: Yeah, I think we are uh, competing with Kitchener-Waterloo, we are competing with Toronto, yeah. and I think the situation there is um, a lot of people kind of look at Waterloo and Toronto and say, that's the only place I need to be for tech. Yeah. If I don't make it there, I won't make a success of my tech business. Right. And what we're saying to them quite clearly is, no, no, you, uh, you can certainly build your tech business here. Uh, we do have the capacity, like I said, and we do have uh, the great colla- community collaborations. As well. So
0: um, is, it adva- is it an advantage to be nestled between a Toronto and a Kitchener just where yeah. Hamilton is geographically to have a, to be a part of this?
5: It is. Because uh, you look at the the state of, of tech in Canada, we're behind the states yeah. by far. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, a, a lot of people in the industry would absolutely agree. Um, but you want to create some sort of regional play yeah. that we're too small to stand on our own. Yeah. So you want to be part of that kind of tech corridor yeah. and that tech infrastructure. Uh, and that's what's resonating well on an na- international stage is to say we have this capacity within the region and you just show them the numbers in right. terms of the uh, Kitchener, Waterloo, Hamilton, Toronto kind of corridor. It's comparable in many respects. It's comparable to Silicon Valley. Yeah. So we can compete.
0: Do you have to have that technical infrastructure in order to sell this?
5: Yes, because you need the broadband capacity for what they want to do. Which we have. Which we have. So what happened was, and I don't really want to delve into the deep uh, history Mm -hmm. of it, but back when they created the Internet, Mm -hmm. there were companies who were charged by the U.S. federal government to build the infrastructure, to build the Internet, put the wires in, put the cables in, put the pipes of of information in. These companies are what's called as tier one companies, and they built them generally around rail lines. Mm -hmm. And that's what ran through Hamilton. So you have a very rich capacity. So Bell, Rogers, TELUS, we think of them as the big networks. Mm -hmm. No, they're the ones buying off these other multinationals. But Hamilton has that, that capacity that runs right through our city. And whatever broadband networks you need to tap into, you can. It comes at a cost, yeah, you know, it's, sure. it's fair market. But you can't make the argument you, you can't get what you need in Hamilton. And, and from what I understand from professionals in the industry, we have a richer broadband network than say Kitchener-Waterloo.
0: And this is trying to woo more companies in or uh, helping those that are already here?
5: It's both. Yeah. Uh, but really what we're seeing is we're seeing a lot more tech, fintech. Right. Um, you know, animation studios, web design firms, mm. app developers, software as a service. They're starting to look at Hamilton because Toronto is, is costly to do business. Yeah. But you have to make the argument to them. You have to show them this is what broadband exists, it'll work, yeah. and it'll work here.
0: All right. Uh, Consul General of India, what's this all about?
5: So that was that's coming out of our trade mission last November. Uh, we went to India yep. and started trade relationships with- uh, Yeah, I remember talking number, about that. Yeah, yep. a number of cities, mm-hmm. a number of companies there. So the Consul General of India is actually coming to Hamilton on Thursday. Uh, and we'll be doing a presentation at Mohawk College at Mm 1.30 and uh, just talking about business opportunities in uh, doing business with India. And I know there's a lot of companies in Hamilton that are really looking to uh, branch out, to export their goods to India, looking for new markets. This is something you really want to consider attending. Um, We put out a, uh, if you check our social media, if check our tweets, uh, at Hamilton active, uh, just in the recent, very recently we put out the information about where you can register for this. Mm-hmm. But if you do have a, a question, certainly you can, uh, go to invest in and contact us, contact us that way.
0: And is this a direct result or a result of that, uh, that crew that going over there and, and the mission in India is that, is this the reciprocation of that? Is this a result of that?
5: I think it's, it's an acceleration of what was happening. Mm-hmm. So when we went to India, we had already been there the, the year previous, Right. Uh, That was a a continued conversation, but I think now having the uh, the Consul General come, I think it's a step up in terms yeah. of the relationship and saying, okay, we're gonna get one of the top people right. from the Indian government to come here and actually work with our Hamilton companies and explain why you should be investing uh, in their country. So
0: anybody that would have been happy with that visit and re- as a result of people going over there would be certainly interested in this then?
5: Uh, absolutely, yeah, yeah, and I think the big thing, Scott, is is uh, you know foreign direct investments, those investments that come from overseas and for our manufacturers, Trying to push mm-hmm. their products uh, to another market, it's all about the relationship. That's where it starts. Mm. And this is a, this is a good step forward. And lots thing.
0: of people say, "Well, what are they all going over there for?" But this is just some of the products, some of the projects that are that are the fruits of those labors, isn't
5: it? Yeah, absolutely. Those those trade missions uh, not only are trying to get investment from India into Hamilton but we bring our companies with us Mm -hmm. and we introduce them to companies over there or government authorities who can make purchasing decisions Mm -hmm. and trying to expand their markets for our Hamilton companies.
0: All right, we got a lot of stuff here. Uh, Portland Fuels.
5: So very quickly, Portland Fuels uh, is an example of a company that's come to Hamilton from England. Mm -hmm. And basically they are a uh, fuel broker, for lack of a better term. So Mm -hmm. uh, there's a lot of freight companies, a lot of trucking companies, and basically what they'll do is they will buy the uh, fuel, mm-hmm. the, ma- the the uh, wholesale price. Right. You lock in. Yeah. If the price of oil goes up. Yeah. You, you uh, continue on. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. and if it goes down, they'll they, uh, they'll pay you. If it Goes right. up, you pay them. Yeah. So, um, it's it's a good fintech kind of company mm-hmm. for for Hamilton. So we're, we're happy to have them. Just wanted to mention them.
0: Uh, galling event.
5: Uh, on th- yeah, another. Uh, corporate partnership we have with Gowling in terms of foreign direct investment. They're having a, a major uh, session on uh, Thursday, and I uh, just wanted to, to mention that as, as a partner in our, our foreign direct uh, investment efforts. And uh, we'll probably hear a lot more about them probably in the spring as they uh, break ground on their new uh, multi-million dollar facility in the McMaster Innovation Park.
0: All right. Future of transportation and mobility event.
5: Yeah, this last one, February 12th at the uh, Canadian Warplane Heritage Museum, uh, just talking about uh, autonomous vehicles, the future, how Hamilton plays a, a big part of that. So for those interested in autonomous vehicles and AI with, with uh, vehicles and fleet management. We're uh, we're um,
0: breaking quite a bit of ground with that here with the uh, McMaster Innovation Park and such, aren't we? Oh, not? absolutely. Yeah. yeah,
5: so this is being put on by the uh, Center for Integrated Transportation and Mobility, CITM, mm-hmm. at McMaster Innovation Park. Hamilton is quickly gaining a lot of uh, recognition as a leader, a thought leader, a research leader in mm. autonomous vehicle. So we want to keep up that momentum. And this, this uh, event, this all- day event on February 12th um, you know, is bringing together, some very uh, high-level thinkers on this. And I think it would be good for people to understand what's happening here.
0: If there's people out there that are thinking of starting businesses or moving businesses to Hamilton or what have you, where should they go? Where do they start with all of this? Just
5: start at investinhamilton.ca. And we just did a redesign of the site back last summer. We launched it. and Some great videos on there too. yeah, Yeah. Thank you very much. So we, uh, we've made it very easy for you to contact us. We have the information on our site, but on every page pretty much there's, at the bottom, there's, there's ways to contact us. And, mm-hmm. and certainly we're, we're happy to have those conversations and, you know, people can uh, visit the site and that's, that's all the information uh, immediately.
0: And once again, uh, the big event tomorrow? <laughs> <laughs>
5: You will have that in the newsroom I th- shortly. I thought for sure I could get you just to slip <laughs> it out there.
0: Oh yeah, the big ba uh, ba 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 ba, uh, and it's something of su- uh, substantial, but not a new arena.
5: We we were working on a, <laughs> a, a tribute day for Scott Thompson. All the yeah, support you've yes, given over the years to us. <laughs> yes,
0: the shortest day of the year. Uh, Michael Morini has been with his economic development, keeping the city humming. Uh, the city of Hamilton. Michael as always. Thanks so much for the time. Thanks, much Scott. appreciated.